0: Our Old Testament lesson is from Job chapter 23. Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his dwelling. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn that he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, but he would give heed to me. There an upright person could reason with him, and I could be acquitted forever by my judge. If I go forward, he is not there, or backward I cannot perceive him. On the left he hides, and I cannot behold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. God has made my heart faint, The the Almighty has terrified me, if only I could vanish in the darkness, and thick darkness would cover my face.
1: Our gospel lesson is from the gospel of Mark, and we have been reading consecutive passages for the last few weeks, so this takes place right after last week's uh, passage finishes up. And Jesus uh, and his disciples have been in uh, Capernaum in a house there. So hear now how God is speaking to you through these words of the Gospel of Mark. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. And then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals, it is impossible. But not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Well, look, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last will be first here ends the reading thanks be to God (coughs) I read these scripture passages early in the the week as I always do uh, as part of my process to, to kind of read through them again on Monday morning, and have them in my head for the rest of the week as I'm writing liturgy and, and sermon and kind of viewing the world through uh, the lens of uh, the scripture for the week. And I opened up the Wall Street Journal on Thursday morning while thinking uh, about these texts, especially Jesus's words: "Sell all you own and give it to the poor." Uh, and uh, and on Thursday morning, I saw this this article in the Wall Street Journal about cashing in your jewelry. And my eye was caught by this photo of a a ring here. I don't know if you can see it very well, but there's a a diamond ring here, a big one. And that really caught my eye. And and it's got a little box next to it that says $75,000. And I was curious about this ring, so I read the, the caption, and it says... Circa, that's the name of this company that buys uh, used jewelry and, and sells it, recently acquired this three-carat round diamond engagement ring from a couple celebrating their 20th wedding anniversary and preparing to upgrade. <laughs> and Circa said the value was about $75,000. I, because, come on, I had two decades with a three-carat ring. <laughs> it's warm. I How embarrassing. <laughs> yes. And it's probably worn out. And it's old. Uh, and we may chuckle and, and shake our heads and perhaps have even some justification uh, to do so, but I've spent my time amongst people of wealth uh, while I lived in New York, some of the people I worked with who, who made more money, Uh, than they really knew what to do with. Uh, And the article didn't say anything about who this couple were, but it's possible that, you know, there might actually have been some embarrassment around this ring. Embarrassment on her part, maybe, because it was smaller than the diamonds her friends had. Or embarrassment on his part, because uh, he really loved her and, uh, and felt bad that at the time they got married, he didn't have enough money to buy her, Maybe a ring that he felt really showed his love for her. Uh, very real emotional responses. And I think it's, it's easy for us to look at, at those who maybe are feeling some existen- existential angst uh, because they only have a three carat diamond. But it's only a matter of, of degree. At some level, we all do this, do it with different things, certainly. I don't know anyone here. That has a three-carat diamond, but we all do it. This kind of this, this one-upmanship or this spiritual struggle gets played out at all economic levels, and we're all part of that system. What we spend or do for weddings or birthday parties—you may even see in the news—you know bar mitzvahs are getting out of control, spending hundred thousand dollars. Uh, hiring bands and uh, doing all this. We do it with uh, uh, even our cars, where we travel, the size of our TVs, whatever we can turn into some kind of economic competition. We seem pretty good at finding a way to turn that into a a competition. Uh, And there's also that struggle that we might have, whether the gift that we're giving, if it is expensive enough to express the love that we feel for the person we're giving it to. It's a very real emotional response. And we also have uh, this belief, and it's, it's a, a false belief, but we do have this belief that is so much part of our culture that, that those who have much are somehow uh, more beloved by God, that that's somehow a sign of, of their righteousness or their goodness, uh, or that, uh, that God values that person more than someone else. It's just a matter of degree and where we draw the the lines about what is excessive and maybe what we consider to be normal. You know, upgrading a a three-carat diamond ring may seem excessive. But what about if it was a a one-carat ring or a a half-a-carat ring? Or an eighth of a carat? Would we feel the same way? Or what if the the man could only have afforded to buy her a band and saved up for 20 years to buy something to put on that band? Would we feel the same way? And those maybe don't seem so bad, might even seem natural to start with something that small and do a little upgrade. But the only real difference is... Uh, There is no real difference. It's just a a matter of whether we draw a line and try to say, this one's okay, this one's not. And if we do want to draw that line, where are we going to draw it? And is there any way to draw that line that doesn't, at some level, discount someone's values or feelings or who they are? And so I, I would say let us not be too quick to judge uh, the couple who are trading in this ring, we don't know their story. We don't know their story. We don't know who they are. It, it's certainly easy to label them as rich. And clearly if they've got a $75,000 ring that they're trading in to buy something bigger, I, they certainly have more money than I've ever had. And probably more than any of us here have have ever had. Easy to label them as rich and just let that be their identity. But they're much more than that. Just as those who are poor are much more than just the poor. Or that who, whatever our occupation is, that's not our full identity either. So I had Jesus' words about sell all you own and give it to the poor. Ringing through my head this week as part of this article and, and the rest of my life. And I and I wondered, what if what if the man in Jesus' story had not been a man with a lot of possessions? What if he only had a few possessions and asked the same question and Jesus gave the same response? What if Jesus had said to the poor man, Sell all you own and give the money to the poor? We might find that shocking. Jesus is telling this poor guy he's got to sell everything he owns and he has hardly anything. And yet the net result is the same, whether it's the rich man or the poor man, Jesus is saying you need to get rid of everything you have and go to complete poverty. Sell all you own. And in this version of the story that Mark relates this uh, encounter is in the other Gospels and the man is called a rich man in the other one. In this one he's just a man. It does say later he has many possessions. Uh, but he's not labeled a rich man. Uh, and, and to have many possessions in Jesus' time might very well mean that the guy still had uh, less than we have in our garages or our basements or our storage bins You know, and, and wealth is, I, I think this question of wealth or money is really the minor part of this encounter that the man has with Jesus. You need to look at the man's question What must I do to earn eternal life or to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is going to slowly unfold that that's not the question to ask. But he begins by playing along with uh, the man's question uh, and where the the man is, is leading. And Jesus recites this list of commands. You know the commands. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud and honor your mother and father. And the man says, well, I've kept all those. And then Jesus felt love for the man and tells him that he only lacks one thing. Go and sell all you own and give it to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus hasn't answered the man's question at all. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He asks that question and Jesus says, well, you lack something. You're missing something. He lines out five of the ten commands, what I like to think of as the five easy ones, because they're easy to do. It's easy not to murder or not to commit adultery, or to honor mother and father, and so on. Uh, And and They all come down to basically don't be mean to people. Don't inflict harm on others. And The ones that Jesus left out in his litany are what I think of as the difficult ones, because they require some thought and some action and some diligence. No other gods. That's an easy trap to fall into. Don't covet. That's a really hard one. Don't take God's name in vain. No images or idols. Honor the Sabbath. And maybe the man was unfaithful about those five, so Jesus didn't bother to ask about them. I'm not sure. We don't know. But Jesus certainly raises the stakes on the five commands that he mentions that are basically, don't be mean. The man says that he's, he's followed those, and Jesus says basically, well, yeah, you're, you're doing great at not being mean. You're doing great at not being harmful to your neighbors, but what you lack is being good. What you're missing out on is being a blessing to the people around you. It's great that you're not doing them harm, but you need to go one step further and do good for them. You must be a blessing. You must be engaged with the world. Engage the poor. Have an encounter with the poor. And then the man walks away sad because, as the text says, he owned much. But the text doesn't say that he never did sell all his stuff and give it to the poor. We just know that he walked away because he was sad. And then later with the disciples, Jesus explains that this question that the man asked was not really the right question. It was a completely self-focused. question. Self-focused in benefit and in labor. What must I do to inherit eternal life for me? There's nothing about God in that statement. And Jesus answers with, What you lack is compassion. What you lack is detachment from your stuff and attachment to others. And Jesus doesn't answer his question except to say... Stop thinking about yourself. It's not about your eternal life. It's not about what you must do. And he says to the disciples that there is nothing that we can do to inherit eternal life. It is impossible for mortals. Only God can do that. Our salvation doesn't depend on what we do or don't do. It's God's gift to us. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. Nothing. You don't have to. You already have it. You already have it. And Jesus says to the disciples how difficult it is to enter the kingdom. Because the way into the kingdom is not to try to enter into it. The way into the kingdom is to be, is to be received. To be welcomed by God. And that welcome has already happened. Through Jesus. And Jesus' words speak to his culture, they speak to our culture, that have this idea of wealth equaling God's favor. And so the rich ought to have, one would think, the easiest path into the kingdom, because clearly they are the most uh, righteous and faithful people. But Jesus is a subversive. And he turns it around and he says, the rich are going to have great difficulty and the rich is never defined that's a hard, hard thing to define because compared to the rest of the world we here in the U.S. are pretty rich compared to the rest of the country we here at Plymouth not so rich mostly in the middle compared to the folks that we've been giving clothing and water to we're really rich it's all a matter of degree. It depends on where you draw that line. Rich is an easy word to toss around, but uh, impossible to define. But as I said, the story isn't about wealth or money or our stuff. It's about our relationships to God and to one another. To the man, Jesus says, sell all you own, give it to the poor, and follow me. Follow me. Live in the kingdom. Don't do it for future reward. Do it to be a blessing in the now. Follow me. And to us, Jesus might say, uh, give up all your assumptions. Give up all your myths, your culturally conditioned uh, ideas and assumptions about what is success and what is to be valued, uh, what our priorities ought to be. Give up all of those and follow me. Live in the kingdom. Live in the kingdom that is here. Live in the kingdom that we have already been received into. And it's not about belief or believing our way into heaven. To just about every question that Jesus has ever asked. His reply or answer uh, to almost any question boils down to some version of follow me. Do what I do. I'm not here to tell you what to believe, which is inward and selfish. I'm here to show you how to live. That's what God wants. Not so much about belief, trying to get some future reward, but how to live in the present, and how to live with the people around us. I am here to show you how to live. Follow me. Follow me.